Hello, friends, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. And I created the U-Turn book and the podcast as a place to help you connect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week, I want to bring a guest on with the intention of helping you expand what's possible for you, both in your confidence, whether it's in work or love, and just in life in general. So let's get into this week's episode. U-Turn friends, if there's anything you know, if you've been watching me on Instagram, it's that I'm making new friends and living in Florida. And somebody really special who I've come across is Dr. Anna Yusim. She's an internationally recognized, award-winning, board-certified Stanford and Yale-educated psychiatrist and executive coach. She has a private practice in New York, in the city. She has one in Connecticut. She's a best-selling author of a book called Fulfilled, How the Science of Spirituality Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life. And she's on the clinical faculty at Yale Medical School, and she's currently creating a spirituality and mental health center at Yale, which is really exciting. Um, She's got clients including Fortune 500 CEOs, Olympic athletes, A-list actors, actresses, chairs of academic departments, top universities. Um, She's helped thousands of people in more than 60 countries have greater impact and purpose and joy and love in their work. And after working as a neurobiology researcher with Dr. Robert Sapolsky, PhD, completing her studies at Stanford, Yale Medical School, and the NYU Psychiatry Residency Training Program, she felt like something was missing from her life. And in her quest to find it, she traveled, she lived, she worked in more than 70 countries, and she studied Kabbalah. She learned Buddhist meditation. You all know I just got certified. And she works with she worked with South American shamans and Indian gurus. She's published over 150 academic articles, book chapters, I mean, the list really just goes on and on. She's a contributor at CNN, ABC, Fox, NBC, all of the things. Today, I want to talk to her about her mental health and spirituality center at Yale and the science of spirituality. What is the science about growing and evolving? What is behind it? So without further ado, hi, Anna. Thank you for being here. Hi, Ashley. It's such a pleasure to be here together with you today. You too. Okay. I feel like... I don't even know where to start because you're the master of so many things. And I want to get curious first on um, what was it about science and spirituality? What was the root of this discovery for you and commitment for you in your work? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because many things in our life we plan out deliberately and we say, this is how I'm going to live my life, A, B, C, D. And then there's certain things that come into your life completely unexpectedly that end up changing the course of your life forever. Spirituality was one such thing for me. And had anybody told me I'd be a spiritual person 20 years ago, I would have laughed. It was like the furthest thing from my mind. It was the furthest thing from my consciousness, from my studies. Like you mentioned, I went to Stanford and Yale. I was very studious. At Stanford, studied biology and philosophy, took a few years off with a management consultant, eventually went to Yale Medical School, really, really wanted to figure people out and loved how the mind worked and was really inspired by existential psychiatrist and author Urban Yalom, wanted to be like him. So I was like, I'm going to follow in his footsteps. I'm going to be an author and a psychiatrist and write these stories about my patients' lives and their inner worlds. So that was the plan. And I was proceeding along this plan up until the end of my residency. So then um, a number of things started happening in my life towards the end of residency. 
first and foremost, I hit my own dark night of the soul where nothing seemed to be working in my life. I was miserable in my residency. I was working really, really hard and I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I knew that was my path, but residency can still make you pretty miserable. So that I had broken up um, in a long-term relationship, a five-year relationship, started dating somebody new, learned that that person was dating all these other people. So there was this heartbreak and just all these other things coming up all at once. And what it made me realize was that, you know what, all of these methods that I have to help people through distress, through depression, through darkness, they're really not helping me as I'm going through my own transformation, my own pain. And like, what are other methods? I started really starting to think more broadly about other ways to heal, other ways to transform our pain, to transform our suffering. And that got me started on um, curious about the notion of the soul. And it was that together with this idea that I'd met this person who I thought was my soulmate. He obviously didn't get the memo. He didn't think he was my soulmate, but I thought he was my soulmate. So <laughs> it was like, try to understand what is the soul? How does it fit into this healing process? What is this concept of soulmate? So for the first time, I started seeking answers in places that I never sought answers, in synagogues, in churches, um, at different spiritual talks. And ultimately started to understand healing, like you read in my intro, by starting to understand how transmutation of energy and elevation of consciousness works in all these different traditions, working with shaman in South Africa and South America, starting to work with gurus in India and learning Buddhism and learning Kabbalah and ultimately realizing that, you know what, we have a soul and the way in which we free ourselves from suffering, or at least accept our suffering and move on, is to align with the mission of our soul. And from that place, a lot of other things become so much more clear. And so that's what I did. I really changed my whole life around, started to integrate spirituality into my life, into my practice, started to learn about the world from a spiritual perspective, which completely opened my eyes to nothing I had ever been taught in medical school. Um, one of the principles, for instance, of Kabbalah is that that which we see with our eyes and ears is only 1% of reality, whereas the scientific world says that it's 100% of reality, that what is real can be seen with the eyes and measured, you know, and evaluated with our senses. So it was these kind of things that started just me down a whole other path and opened me up to what would ultimately become my life's journey. Okay. I love this. Okay. And it what you just shared reminds me a lot of something I've mentioned a few times on the show that really sat with me after getting certified in meditation in New York, which was the um, statistic, I believe it was like 0.0035% of the electromagnetic spectrum is what our eyes are picking up. So I don't know if I just butchered that. We'll put it in the show notes, but just really profound to show that we we don't even see 1% of the colors that are in front of us. Um. And, and I love that you're validating that. I want to ask you about the work of Irvin Yalom, um, who I literally have never heard of. And you also talked about just existential. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what was it that pulled you in? I know that, you know, they were an author and, and all of these different roles, but what was it about their content that really resonated for you? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I love Dr. Yalom's work. He is in his 90s. I think in his 90s now, and he's con continued to be prolific throughout his life. So Dr. Yalom attributes our human struggles to one of four key existential issues. So everything that we are ultimately facing boils down to one of these. And this is our mortality fears. So the reality that we too will one day cease to be. 
Number two is our quest for purpose and meaning in this world. Number three is our struggle with the balance of freedom and responsibility. And number four is our struggle with our own aloneness or isolation in this world. And his framework I found to be so instrumental and so deep. And I love thinking about things in this way. A humongous black bird just landed in the pool over there. (laughs) (laughs) And so, especially as we're talking about like existential struggles. Oh, interesting. Yeah, exactly. And so um, he really just gave this beautiful framework through which to understand people's experiences in this way. And having studied philosophy at Stanford, it was very, very attractive and appealing to me. And then he writes his books on the works of Schopenhauer on Nietzsche on Sartre and really invokes that philosophy to help us understand how to transmute energy and ultimately transmute our own suffering. So that's mm. why I love Dr. Gallum. I highly, highly recommend his books. And if you're going to start with one, I would recommend Love's Executioner. Wow. I love when people can put things in boxes, even though it's not always like the best thing, putting humans in boxes, it's pretty effective. So for people to check that out, um, I also just want to ask you, how do you get taken seriously? Obviously, you have a lot of content. You're well-read. And the reason I ask that is because maybe it's my own mindset, but whenever I'm traveling for speaking tours or anything like that, I always personally get the most nervous when I'm in front of the room um, of like more scientific practitioners. Like Even I spoke for American Dental Association in Vegas. There's a few thousand dentists in the audience. And I remember thinking, like, how is my you know, it's rare that I feel a sense of imposter syndrome, but it was more like, how am I going to resonate with these people who are so science-based? So how can you draw that link on a scientific level, especially because you talk so much about the science of spirituality? Um, And yeah, and also just tying that into what you'll be doing at Yale. So curious just about the science side of things and the link. Yeah, it's a great question, Ashley. And it's a question that actually I really had to contend with when I was publishing my book, because I had very deliberately chosen not to affiliate with an academic institution upon completing my residency. I wanted to do my own thing, to think for myself, to write my book, to see a lot of patients, which is exactly what I did. And so to write a book about spirituality, and I try to write it from as much of a scientific perspective because it was about the science of spirituality, but nevertheless, spirituality is seen sometimes as woo-woo and as undermining of science. And actually, The very idea of the science of spirituality is a paradox because like we mentioned, science is that which can be seen with your eyes and measured, right? Subject to double blind controlled trials and very, very empirical reproducible, whereas spirituality is the opposite. It's often deeply personal, transcendent, very um, individual, hard to subject to experimentation and studying quite that way. And so my thought was I'm writing this book and it could undermine my credibility. It could lead people to not take me seriously, exactly what you thought, what you said. So thank goodness that proved not to be the case, but I was certainly open for it to be the case. The reason it proved not to be the case is because I sent my book to a number of colleagues and a number of colleagues came back saying, this is really what is needed right now in the way that our society is moving. And I had strong endorsements um, of the book publicly by two former presidents of the American Psychiatric Association, um, Dr. Ruiz and Dr. Nunez. And so that, I think, really, really solidified the book as something that, you know, wasn't just woo-woo. And then a number of other um, psychiatry colleagues also stood behind the book and wrote um, a number of review articles, et cetera. 
So, and it was actually then I was going um, around the country presenting the ideas of the book. And then I went to Yale where I'd gone to medical school. And it was then that I was asked to come and invited to come back on the clinical faculty. And I was like, this is so interesting. I thought actually I'd be discredited, but the opposite is happening. Yale is inviting me to be on their faculty after having written this book. And I thought it was amazing. I was thrilled to do that. Um, and that's when Dr. Rohrbach, who was the associate department chair and I at the time, started speaking about uh, the creation of the Spirituality Mental Health Center. Mm. And that was, so the book came out in 2017. So that was about six years ago. And I was very excited to create the center. I knocked on a few doors, but it was very, very clear that it was not the time. Nobody was excited about it. Yale psychiatry department is very neurobiological, uber, uber scientific. So this idea of this, you know, mental health and spirituality center coming on the scene, it was not an exciting idea to anybody. Six years pass. I continue with my spiritual process. I continue doing what I do. And I um, started to get into the work of Joe Dispenza. You know, Joe Dispenza is a meditation teacher. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting in a Joe Dispenza meditation workshop and I hear this voice and it says to me, the time for the Yale Center is now. Go knock on the doors again. And this was about six months or so ago. So I'm like, that's interesting. So then I listen to the voice, go knock on the doors again. And this time a completely different reception. This mm-hmm. time the chair of psychiatry, John Crystal says, this is a very important project. Um, let's see this come to fruition. Let's see what we can do. And he's like, maybe it'll be a central like you want it to be. Maybe it'll be a project, but let's let's see. And I, I support it. I want to stand behind this. So then he calls a meeting with a few other psychiatrists, like support Anne in this, please. So then Dr. Christopher Pittenger, who's an endowed chair at Yale, and um, he did his PhD with Eric Kendall, the only living Nobel Prize winner in psychiatry. So Chris is a very, very bona fide neuroscience researcher who also is very spiritually minded, comes on board to co-lead the center with me. And so then Chris and I began this journey. Um, and we've been looking for funders. We've been trying to identify the research priorities. And it's really been amazing to be able to um, to do this kind of work. And the priorities of the center have shifted, you know, very rapidly. And I can tell you, you know, more about all that, but that's kind of the story of from being not taken seriously to now starting this center where Yale is taking it seriously enough to actually create a center, which is a beautiful thing. The best way to learn a language, immersion, living where the language is spoken and just using it every day. But if that's not in the cards for you this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by more than 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. And since I personally haven't been in France for a while, I love to hop on to Babbel for a few minutes every day and just keep my French up to par. Babbel even helps me with my accent, my pronunciation, so that on my next trip, I'll feel confident stepping off the plane, ready to chat with anyone. Here's a special from Babbel limited time deal for our listeners right now to get 55% off your subscription, but only for the U-Turn community at babbel.com slash U-Turn. So you can get 55% off at B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. Rules and restrictions may apply. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is just here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, they give you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the entire United States, and they are the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support you and your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash U-turn. Go to shopify.com slash T-U-R-N now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash U-Turn. What's going on, U-Turner? This episode, I wanted to take a moment to just acknowledge one of my absolute favorite brands in the world making the biggest impact on my day-to-day beauty and it's herbal face food. It's the only skincare product that I've become so obsessed with. I use it every day. I didn't even reach out and ask them to sponsor the podcast. I wanted to just stop by and highlight one of my favorite things. I am the first person to admit that I obsess over skincare. If I could make my skin look like I'm seven years old, I probably would. And I wanna share with you the one thing that I've been using that has changed my skin, and it's the Cure product from Herbal Face Foods. So if you have acne or hormonal acne, or even a melasma, any discoloration on your face, it literally cured my hormonal acne in less than two weeks. It left my skin feeling so soft, so smooth. And since I'm really particular about what I put in my body, I also care about what goes on to my body. So Herbal Face Foods product is made from 57 natural botanicals and their products are antiviral and yes they are so natural that you can literally eat them though I probably don't recommend trying to I loved it so much that I wanted to reach out to them and get a discount code for you so that you can experience them so just head on over to ashleystall.com slash skin that's a-s-h-l-e-y-s-t-a-h-l dot com slash skin and use the code ashley20 at checkout to get a discount on your order i love their serum and i love their cure product i use it every morning every night and it's just been such a game changer making me look younger my face look brighter i hear from so many of you i wanted instead of posting an ad right here to just share and shout out one of my favorite brands and give you this promo code of ashley20 over at herbal face foods Thanks again for tuning in and back to the episode. 
Okay, so I want to ask you about how to connect to your spirituality, especially when you're in a crisis. But even before asking you about that, I'm curious from a scientific level, what were some of the most interesting findings that you came across as you were writing your book, uh, or and you are still, around the intersection of science and spirituality? Um, I know that you talk about how spirituality can change your brain. So just kind of curious on a scientific level, what were some of the big surprises um, or things that you just find really profound for everybody to know? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I could tell you so much and I feel like this field is constantly evolving. What I'll tell you about maybe is a conversation I had with a colleague of mine who studies neurospirituality at Harvard, Dr. Michael Ferguson. He's fascinating and his work is amazing. And he's doing work right now about brain circuitry. So which brain regions are involved in certain processes? So first and foremost, he's identified a very interesting dichotomy. And it's the dichotomy between at one extreme dogmatism in one's thinking or also dogmatism in one's spirituality, that people are like, I'm spiritual, but here's what this means. And this is the only way to be a good person. And so the dogmatism can come with a lot of ideas about punishment and things like that, right? And then on the other side of dogmatism, complete on the other side is mysticism. And mysticism being this openness to new experiences as they come through. And so he showed that there are completely different brain regions responsible for these two things. And actually, when you have one and you have a decrease in the other, and when you have the other, you have a decrease in one. So in a way, he showed that through brain imaging work, that opposite brain circuits are responsible for dogmatism versus mysticism. I thought that was just such a cool finding. And it's finding like like findings like this that give us insight into how we as human beings work and help us to better understand ourselves and our brains. Wow. I love that. And for those of you who don't know what dogmatism is, to me, it means like the tendency to lay down principles as if they're true no matter what, um, without maybe full consideration of the evidence or something like that. Is that how you would perceive it? Absolutely. Like a rigidity, a rigidity in your thinking. And for a lot of people, dogmatism, you know, it makes things easy in life because it keeps things black and white. It keeps people from seeing the nuance or the shades of gray in life. Mm -hmm. And so it's like a rigidity. This is the mm -hmm. way it is. And anything other than this is wrong. And this is like on the opposite side is mysticism, where it's like you have this openness and openness to newness of thought, newness of experience, a newness in the way that your paradigm is conceived. And so for you to have a mystical experience, you have to let go of the dogmatism. Mm. Okay. I love this so much. And I love the word mysticism. And I, I just, um, I have to ask how this mysticism or this spirituality, obviously you studied Kabbalah and Buddhism and all these different um, bodies of work that are so important. How do you recommend someone who's listening right now, who's in some sort of crisis, whether it's like a quarter life crisis, identity crisis, any sort of crisis in life, reconnect or even start their connection to spirituality if maybe they don't fully know it yet or haven't fully tuned into it yet? What would be some either practices or books to read or just outside of your own mind shifts that they should be maybe considering based on your work and your discoveries? I love that. I love that question. And I think that um, the first principle here is when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So if indeed somebody is ready to have some sort of spiritual guidance, all they have to do is open themselves up to it and say to the universe, to God, whatever your conception of something greater is. You say to the universe, I'm ready. Please show me. I would love to be guided about this current situation. I would love to be guided about overcoming this challenge. And so you just open yourself up. It's that openness. 
and then be open to how the answer comes. A friend might suggest that you do something. You might read something in a book that gives you a new paradigm or insight. You might just in your heart feel peace about something that's been incredibly stressful to you prior. There's all these different ways in which guidance can show up in your life. So Mm. to be open to that guidance. So that's um, number one. And certainly I think also bringing in some inspiration and reading some spiritual books that resonate with you, which could be a whole bunch of stuff. And, you know, so let's actually first define spirituality. Never really define spirituality, right? So my definition of it is a connection to something greater than oneself, which for some people can be God. For some people, it could be the universe, could be a collective consciousness. It could be a set of transcendent values like hope, trust, perseverance. And so if ever you're feeling lost, bibliotherapy or reading something inspirational in a spiritual area of your choosing could be very uplifting. And that could be Marianne Williamson's book on A Course of Miracles. It could be my book, Fulfilled. It could be something by Irvin Yalo, which is much more you know, secular. He's himself an atheist, but it's a beautiful existential psychiatric perspective. So anything that's going to open you and start to create that shift in mindset that's needed for you to really fully accept your experience and be able to transmute that energy. One thing you talk a lot about is just around like hearing this voice and my company, um, when I filed it in Florida and moved from California is called wise whisper LLC, because I just think we hear this wise whisper. Um, and I've been working on a series of meditations because I think that getting into that calmer state helps you hear wisdom. But what I feel like you're talking about a lot is what a lot of people would call intuition, um, how would you recommend people can integrate and connect with their intuition? Um, and how does somebody know when that voice that they had here? Cause we get so many voices in our head. I have like a whole board committee. Um, how do we know when that voice is, is intuition is wisdom. And, you know, for, for those of you who are listening to this, you know, living through intuition is a whole different way of life because, To me, the definition of intuition is knowing what you know without knowing why you know it. And to attune to that, it's like you're constantly following this this wisdom. So what's the science behind intuition and how do people access it? I love it. I love your question. And I think it's such an important question too, because so intuition is that still quiet voice that can only be heard when the much louder voices in your head, the voice of your thoughts and the voice of your emotions temporarily cease to be. Intuition can manifest in many forms, right? Sometimes people have heard of the four clairs, clairaudience, clairvoyance, clairsentience, claircognizance. We'll go through all of them because those are all the ways in which intuition can show up in your life. And often one or two of these voices will be dominant, but then the other voices can be cultivated and developed. Um, And so what are, like, how do you receive intuition? Just like you said, intuition is knowing something without knowing exactly how you know. And it's only on deeper reflection that you can actually see how do I receive information or intuitive guidance in that way? So clairaudience is when you receive intuitive guidance through that quiet whisper. Like you said, you can hear a voice. It literally feels like a voice. It's sometimes hard to differentiate that voice from your own thoughts, but it's very much that. It's like that still quiet voice, clairaudience, right? You're hearing it. Claire sentience is you're feeling it. It's like you will come into a room and you'll either be drawn to someone or you'll feel really repelled or you'll feel chills in your body when somebody tells you something that's particularly meaningful. Like you really, really feel it in your body. So that could be like your primary way of receiving intuition. Claire voyance is when you see. 
It's like, actually, you might have a vision of something that you need to do, or you might have a vision that is a response to an answer. That vision could be real. It could be metaphorical. It could be literal. It could be figurative, but it's a vision. You will actually see in your mind's eye something, right? And then there's claircognizance, which is just, you know, and you don't know why you know, but you just know. So it's like, you, it's like you're cognizant of it, claircognizance. For me, the strongest ones are claircognizance. I'll just sometimes know something without knowing why I know. Like mm-hmm. I will, like, you know, it, and it just, it comes out in the most interesting times. My second one is probably clairvoyance. Sometimes I can see things and like be shown what I need to do with a patient without knowing where it comes from necessarily. Mm-hmm. And intuition is a very interesting thing because there's also you know, you can classify it as many different things. One is there, it could be synonymous with instinct, right? Like with Daniel Kahneman, who's the Princeton behavioral economist who wrote the book, Thinking Fast and Slow. The fast thinking or instinctual part can for many people be their intuition. And it's like a pattern recognition system. You see something, you are able to sum up the situation related to past patterns and boom, with like in an instant, you know what the right course of action is. So that's like type one intuition or instinctual. Mm. Type two intuition is that you are in proximity with a person and you're able to receive signals from that person outside the regular channels. The regular channels are, as you and I are talking, through voice, through gestures, through mannerisms, by looking at each other, like we can communicate a lot. But you can be sitting in a room with someone and suddenly just know something about that person. And you're like, I don't know why I know this, but I can tell this about you. You know, that's type two intuition. And type three intuition is like what you think about between a mother and child. Like you're not in the same room. Someone's on the other side of the world completely. And you know, something is wrong with that person. Or, you know, something is like very emotionally valiant for that person. Or that you might have, you might know the instant somebody's passing away, things like that. That's type three intuition. So those are all the different ways in which intuition can show up in our lives. It's very interesting. My friend, are you ready to launch your own podcast? Now more than ever is the time to start. Since I launched the U-Turn podcast in 2018, I've grown this show to hit the top charts, and we've even been so grateful to bring in over six figures in sponsorship deals nearly every year. And we have amazing conversations with top leaders and experts, as you know, and I just can't believe to this day that I get to have this much fun and that the show gets to support my business with sponsors we love that we get to share with you about. I'm so enamored by the fact that I get to have this much fun and impact while being paid to do it. And I want the same for you. So if the idea of you doing the same, creating a podcast, monetizing it and making an impact feels exciting, and expansive, you're in the right place. And I want to share with you that my podcast launch course is coming. But in the meantime, I wanted to give you a complimentary, very detailed launch checklist filled with prompting questions to get you clear on your show, tactical action items, and everything else that you don't forget anything, as well as the creative ideas to market and launch with impact. So what I have here is more than just a free checklist. It's the beginning of your future as a fellow podcaster. I really want this for you if you have the inspiration I did. So head on over to ashleystall.com slash checklist, and you can get this tool that's totally free. Again, that's ashleystall.com slash checklist 
checklist for my free checklist to start your podcast and launch with love. Yeah, actually, do you remember when I first sat down with you? I associated you with Lisa Bilyeu, but I don't follow her on Instagram, although we're friends. That um, totally happened. I remember yeah. now. That totally happened. Yes. Right. Their cognizance, right? I said, like, have totally. you been at Lisa Bilyeu's house for a party that I was at? And you were like, no, but I've been on her podcast. And it was just so, I'm like, do we both know Lisa? It's just so interesting how the mind does this. Okay, so obviously people have a lot of resistance to knowing something without being able to explain it. It's like our society, you know, values intellect so much over intuition. Um, I think the workplace, which is completely relevant, but they, well, for this conversation, they value extroversion potentially more than introversion. Um, So I think society is kind of built on these alleged norms. Um, What would you say to someone who is wanting to get started in accessing these areas of intuition and they're feeling super blocked. They don't know how to trust the voices because I know a lot of entrepreneurs, they have shiny object syndrome. It's like, I get the chills over everything. And then they've got like 20 unfinished projects. You know what I mean? So how does somebody get more grounded into this knowing um, and really make something out of it? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. And I think that ultimately connecting to your intuition is like connecting to the deepest part of yourself. And it's something that can be made into a spiritual practice. And just like you said, the more that you can ground into it as a spiritual practice, the more it becomes part of the foundation and part of the backbone of your everyday life. And so I think the first thing would just be an awareness, an awareness of just, you know, like the experience that you and I discuss, right? With Lisa Bilyeu, that you were like, um, you know, you kind of sense that maybe we met at that party. And I was like, oh, that's so funny. Actually, Lisa's amazing. And I was just on her podcast, you know, it was, it was a very interesting thing, but it was like that little thing. And oftentimes what you're just, what you like, what that experience was, you picked up on something, you were responding to something internal, but then you make an interpretation with it. Like you somehow got like, I'm guessing something like Anna, Lisa Bilyeu, right? Like that connection. And then the way that your brain interpreted that connection, oh, I was just at Lisa Bilyeu's party. Anna must have been there, you know, but actually that might've been the wrong interpretation. It would actually have been, oh, ask Anna about Lisa Bilyeu. Maybe you guys will do podcasts together. Or You know what I mean? Like if we were to kind of put meaning or language to it, like, and so I think it's like recognizing those tiny little things and seeing what's actually coming up for you how are you receiving information and what, and maybe going back and what parts of your life has intuition being meaningful? Do you always follow your intuition in what part times in your life is intuition strongest? Have you gone against your intuition and what's been the result? So really just starting to watch your own decision-making and trying to distinguish because it's very difficult. It's very difficult sometimes to know when you're acting intuitively or what the intuitive guidance is as opposed to the emotional guidance, because emotional guidance would be like, I want to have nothing to do with this person. I want to get as far away from them as possible. But is that your intuition or is that strong emotion? And often the way that you can answer that question is intuition doesn't have a strong emotional charge. Intuition is often a knowing. It could be a, a knowing in your body. It could be a knowing in your mind, but it's a knowing. It doesn't have that strong charge. Emotion, like a deep emotional response does not necessarily have to be intuitive. It could actually just be emotional. It could be like where your emotions are guiding you. And your reason is also a very different kind of guidance. So I think it's sometimes 
just being able to pay attention to the intuitive voice, to the rational voice, to the emotional voice, and seeing where they overlap and intersect. Mm, I love what I also love about what you're sharing here. I feel like a lot of friends who test out like a psychic, like one thing I've actually probably never talked about on this show is that my dad, he he owned a large um, financial firm when I was a little girl. He ended up losing it. Um, whole story there. But he had 300 employees and he saw a world renowned psychic. I can't remember the guy's name. He passed away. Um, but he was known for helping the FBI find serial killers. Like he would walk them to the desert and put an X on the ground and be like, this is where his bodies are. So I would always joke with my dad that the psychic was either a serial killer or a psychic. And um, he told my dad that his business was going to get robbed and it was an inside job and it was going to happen the next two to three months. And it happened. And a lot of other things happened. So I find that a lot of friends who see psychics, they kind of come into the session with a mindset of wanting to test the person and be like, is this person legitimate? I don't want to tell them anything about me to see if I should trust what they're saying. But what you're pointing out here is that the way that the, you know, um, claircognizance and all of these different clairs can work is you'll get images or you'll get information. And sometimes it, it's on you to interpret it. So that's probably an explanation for why if somebody sees a practitioner in this space, um, maybe you can't come with the mindset of testing them because they're sharpening that piece of them that's seeing information, feeling information, knowing information. Um, what I want to ask you about with this idea of knowing, so I hate to even say it out loud, but I have a family member. Ever since I was a little girl, I've always thought he would die young. And I literally hate that I feel that and I feel a sense of knowing around that. And it's kind of haunted me throughout my life. And it doesn't feel like a fear. Um, granted, he used to get sick a lot when he was a little kid, but he's totally fine, healthy, vibrant now. So maybe him being sick as a kid created a subconscious belief for me that he would die young. Um, how do you know when you know something or you're just afraid and you have a subconscious belief you need to question and release? Yeah, it, it's such a good, exactly. It's such a good question, right? Because, yeah, and I think that one of the ways is like, if you're getting this knowing, then you're, first of all, we can have all sorts of things come into our minds for all sorts of reasons and we don't know, right? And like, you could be picking up something from somewhere. It could be totally relevant or it could be, um, you know, like just something that is your instinct best based on the past and not at all relevant to the situation at hand, right? So I would file it away and say, okay, well, interesting, but I would put no energy or anything into that or have any belief related to that. Um, yeah, and I mean, you could be picking up something in somebody's karmic path, but then people can change their destiny all the time. We have right. so much free will to change all that, right? And it is, it is very interesting. Um, and often, like I think the way to distinguish, for instance, fear from intuition is fear will be very charged emotionally, whereas intuition will be a still quiet knowing. Hey, U-Turn friends, it's Ash here, and I've got to admit, my closet has been incredibly crammed with a lot of clothes, but nothing to wear. The solution? I decided to donate a ton of them and turn to Quince. They are the upgrade for high-quality, affordable pieces. Now I have a wardrobe of luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next. And the best part? I stayed on budget. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I just love them. 
I recently got the Italian pebbled leather crossbody bag, and it is the perfect size for a purse when I'm out, on a date night, traveling light, or just don't want anything bulky weighing me down. I really love what they're doing. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash U-turn for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to get free shipping and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash U-turn. I used to be one of those people who thought that they really didn't have time to prioritize wellness, but I recently came across Aloe Moves and now my entire mindset has changed. This app makes it so much easier for me to keep my wellness routine on track and because they have everything in one place, you know, there's yoga, Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, so much more. You all know I love a little recipe situation. From beginner to advanced, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will totally fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending on what I'm feeling for that day. Trying to get in a good sweat? Then you've got to try their award-winning workouts, like sweat-inducing yoga flows, hit classes, or reformers Pilates workouts with or without weights. Or find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for your more quiet moments. Unlock your personal wellness routine with Aloe Moves. Go to alomoves.com now and use the code ALOMOVES30 for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S dot com, code ALOMOVES30. A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S 30. ALOMOVES dot com, code ALOMOVES30. Now let's get back into this week's episode. You know, I, I've said that before in some way or another where I feel like intuition is a little bit more absolute. It sounds a little more like, yes, no, this is good. This isn't good versus I feel like fear is more emotive. It's like it talks and talks, talks and goes and goes and goes. Um, okay. So we are living in a time right now where I think an unusual amount of people are feeling a sense of emptiness. And um, I don't know, like you talked about Yalom's work and these four hu- human struggles. Um what would you have to say from a scientific or spiritual standpoint or the intersection ideally of the two to the people right now who are listening and they just feel this nonstop sense of emptiness, whether it's in their jobs, in their lives, they want more purpose. They don't know where to get started. They're going to listen to this, maybe start tuning in or noticing where their intuition is best because it sounds like there's different clairs that people maybe lean towards more. Um, But yeah, like just any message that you might have or any research you have to help people navigate these feelings of emptiness. Yeah, absolutely. And I think emptiness, especially with the trauma that people have endured with COVID and the last few years in life, the social isolation, um, the collective trauma, the, you know, many, many things that people have been through. I think the void is a really huge thing, not to mention it's also just part of our human struggle, that our existential struggle as human beings on how do we fill this void? We all come into this life with some form of a void. And I think first it's doing um, some like assessment of your current situation and awareness of where does that void come from? Maybe it's something that has always been there. Maybe this is part of the human condition. And then it's like doing these two things. One is if it's part of the human condition, 
and we work to accept that void as a part of yourself, as a part of being a human being. And you accept that and say, okay, this might be a part of me, but you know what? On top of that, I also can make choices to be happy, to be filled, to be productive. I don't have to first and foremost completely rid myself of this void in order to have a complete, fulfilled, healthy, happy, dynamic life. That's number one. Number two, if this void isn't something that's been a part of your life, your whole life, if this is something that more has presented recently, then we backtrack and you're like, what was present in my life when that void wasn't present? And is the void indicative of a change that I need to make? Or is it indicative of something that I need to shift or people that I need to um, either um, bring into my life or release from my life or a change that I need to make? Like, do I need to be somehow courageous to address this void? Do I have to create some changes, often courageous changes to do what I need to do to follow where this guidance is taking me? Now, I think that fundamental question is really at the root of it. Is this void foundational and a part of the human condition, which some people believe, which a lot of existential psychiatrists or psychologists will believe? Or is the goal of life to get rid of that void and to fill that void so it no longer exists? Like, is it even possible for us as human beings to fully fill a void? Or is the best that we can do fill it sufficiently and coexist with our void or with our fear or whatever that other place of pain and suffering is within us to coexist with that while doing our best to live the best life possible alongside that? You're giving me so many questions because it's like you're just full of information. Um, okay, so there's a part of me that wants to ask you some more scientific things like what is the what are what are sound baths doing and all these different spiritual practices. Like I know a lot about meditation. I've shared a lot about that on the show, but I'm curious if if you could share the science behind any sort of practices like burning sage. I know that there was some research that it actually kills a lot of bacteria in the room. So it, it is literally clearing, but um, sound baths or burning sage, Palo Santo, any spiritual practices that you can share the science behind them or why they're so helpful for the human body and experience? Absolutely. And I think like the majority, there's so much science behind so many of such practices. And I would think probably the one with the most um, research behind it is different meditation practices. And it's really amazing how different meditation practices, what they show. Um, Dr. Joe Dispenza, he's actually has a lot of scientists doing fascinating work and what he's shown in that work. So he has people come for a week long meditation retreat where during that week, people are meditating between 20 and 30 hours per week, maybe 35 hours even, plus having another 20 hours where they're understanding sort of creating the meaning making portion, understanding what's happening in their body during meditation. And what happens even to beginning meditators who've never meditated for you know so long is their cells come more into coherence. First, their heart and their mind become more coherent with each other. And then we become um, in greater resonance with ourselves and the cells start to create certain changes. Like there's an up-leveling of so many of the proteins, neurotransmitters, et cetera, responsible for a better life, essentially neurotransmitters that are have antidepressant, anti-inflammatory, antibacterial effects. It's been shown, you know, actually one particular peptide that seems to block COVID from entering the cell seems to be upregulated in those meditators. And there's been a number of people who, through the practice of meditation, being able to tap into the body's self-healing capacity in this way, have been able to heal themselves from many profound, even cancers. 
And then the doctors are left astounded saying, how, when, what, what happened? Now, this doesn't happen for everybody. And so I think, nevertheless, the very fact that that exists and there are people sharing their stories and we have their mechanisms and their how-to playbooks of how to get there, it shows that this is a template for the human experience of what the human body is capable of. And I think at the root of this is this idea that really the body has this amazing self-healing capacity, and it's about us figuring out how we tap into it. You mentioned sound healing. Sound healing also through the vibration and residence of the sound with ourselves is able to bring ourselves into greater coherence. And, you know, there was actually um, Dr. Gaynor, uh, Mitch Gaynor, who used to run the cancer center at Cornell. He passed away, unfortunately, but he would have so many of his patients use sound healing or their cancer therapy and to use a lot of amazing holistic healing modalities. This is actually one of the things we want to study at Yale, that yes, we currently have many, many things that could help with mental health from a psychological and from a psychotherapeutic as well as psychopharmacologic standpoint. But what we don't have as much research on is the natural alternative holistic modalities. So this is another huge thing we want to study at the Yale Center to understand how more holistic modalities can help people to heal from some of the most devastating mental and physical illnesses. Mm, Okay. So I know you're a meditator. You are like my reminder from the universe to get back into my practice because I've ever since I moved from New York and I've just been kind of living here, there and everywhere, I've let myself get out of that routine. Um, Outside of meditation, is there any fun, interesting, random spiritual practices that you deeply rely on that you can share with us? Ah, I love it. Random, fun, interesting. Yes, all sorts of them. Um, I mean, I don't know how random this is. I, from Kabbalah, love the very practice of Shabbat. So I love doing Shabbat candles, um, lighting Shabbat candles every Friday. Another practice from Kabbalah is a mikvah bath, which is like the spiritual bath when you stay with a certain prayer. Whenever I am somewhere where I have access to a pool or a spring, like here in this place where I am in Costa Rica right now, every day I try to do two mikvah baths. And they're amazing. And they, you feel so renewed and rejuvenated after that. Um, and other fun spiritual random practices, even like a short meditation, 15 minutes once in a while is a beautiful thing. Connecting with another person through eye gazing, another very, very deep thing that puts you into synchrony and resonance with yourself and with another person. So those are a few, but there's so many more. Okay. So I have a very random question that has come across my mind around sound. So we talk about the resonance of the sound and how it can be healing and cancer patients using it. And I love that you bring up Joe Dispenza because I feel like outside of you, he's the only person I really know that's out there doing the intersection of science and spirituality um, in a way that so many people can start to understand it. Um, Okay. I hear sirens all the time in New York. And I think to myself, Sometimes the sirens need to be on and move the cars out of the way, but other times I wonder if the sirens are just going to get people to move out of the way for what is probably not a full-on emergency. And I wonder if the damage that the sirens are doing to people's nervous systems is outweighing the benefit of getting them to for all the cars to just move out of the way. So my point is, alternatively, would you argue that sound is also damaging for people um, and their cells, um, given that sound baths are meant to be healing with different sounds. But I also know that day to day we run around the world, especially New York city. And some of the sounds are probably damaging us in some way that I don't understand. 
Oh, for sure, for sure. And sound exists on different frequencies. There's concordant frequencies and discordant frequencies. And there's certain frequencies, like there's a frequency of love, there's a frequency of peace, a frequency of joy. And that is because those particular frequencies lead people to feel wonderfully. Now, sirens are the exact opposite. It's those frequencies that lead people to feel horrible. <laughs> and it's the frequency that says, get out of the way because you don't want to be hearing this any longer. And so I feel like in the same way that sound can, and, you know, in, in the same way that sound can heal the body, sound can also hurt the body, just like you're saying. And the presence of places with a lot of discordant sounds is not healthy for your mental or physical well-being. And in the same way that, you're thinking, thinking positive, beautiful thoughts of gratitude, of hope, of optimism can heal your body. Negative thoughts and fears and doubts also can undermine and harm your body in the same way. So it's like the opposites, love opposites. Mm, okay. So I can't help but ask you, I mean, I'm sure you have a whole repertoire of spiritual beliefs and practices. What do, What is the fundamental of what you believe about the soul? Um, do you believe in reincarnation? Would you consider yourself identified as Kabbalah or Buddhist? Or um, I'm just kind of curious personally, based on all this research you've done, where you've landed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I see myself as a citizen of the world and I'm interested in so many different spiritual traditions and about learning and experiencing all of them. Kabbalah was a huge and foundational part of my being. And now I'm going into, you know, very, very different directions. And I felt like with Kabbalah, there's also lifestyle practices, some of which I think are amazing and some of which I found a little restrictive. And so it's about really finding what works for you and being able to do things in a way that feels aligned, you know? And if like, like I did Kabbalah for maybe 12 years and really tried that on for size and it was amazing and it changed my life. And you take of that, that which really fulfills your soul. And then you are guided by the universe to the next place that can open you up more and show you what's next for me. And for me, ultimately, my own spiritual practices are practices that I share with the world in this way. So I don't think that in my lifetime, I'm supposed to be bound to one particular spiritual practice, but on the contrary, I'm actually supposed to be trying on many, many differences, different practices for size, and then taking from each of them that which really helps me in the spiritual quest. I love that. And I'm curious if you've had any, like, ex like what is an experience you've had through the, your studies or just through people in the world that really took your breath away? Like, what is a miracle that you have seen that really you already knew all this information, but it solidified it for you even more? Um, I have to ask, because I was watching Surviving Death on Netflix in the reincarnation episode. I don't know if you have you seen that, Anna? Yeah, I have not seen that. Oh, no, but I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah, I would be so curious what your thoughts are on that episode. There's some episodes that I think those of you who are listening on Netflix, if you want to check out Surviving Death, try the reincarnation one because not all of them. I, I as someone whose feet are on the ground and head is in the sky, felt like some of them were too far out for me to get on board with. But the reincarnation one, there was a lot of science behind it. So I'm curious if you've studied any science behind it. Um, or any miraculous experiences that you remember to this day? Yes. You're you're talking to me. I'm a very, very favorite subject because I collect stories of miracles. And moreover, I'm writing my next book about them. My first book was on the science of spirituality. My book that I'm working on now is on the science of miracles, with the miracle being defined as something uh, highly beneficial, yet statistically improbable. And so the question in the book is, how do we welcome more miracles into our life? 
And I have seen so many miracles just because I'm looking for them always. And that is spontaneous remissions from cancer in my own patients, in the Joe Dispenza community, and people just healing. And then I've seen the world working in unexpected ways that I, that we just, you know, couldn't really imagine or didn't really think, you know, for instance, patients knowing things about my life that they had no way of knowing, psychics knowing things about my life and being able to, oh, let me tell you about you. I've never met you and none of this is online, but let me tell you about you. So it's like people having that way of knowing. Um, And I've just seen a ton of miracles happen. And like, even, I mean, I feel like I live in that space. I feel like miracles are all happening every day in little ways, such as I, a patient of mine desperately needs to be seen. I have no uh, availability in my calendar. And literally like within seconds, another patient cancels that same day and gives that patient a space. And I feel like these little things, it's such a little thing, but if your life keeps working in that way, it's just, you live in that miraculous world. And even so, like I haven't talked to a patient maybe in three months and I have a thought about that patient and then they call later that day. So it's like the ways in which we're interconnected with other people that really defy much of our traditional science. So this is really my quest and my um, desire to understand is what are the facets of the human experience that exists and operate a little bit outside of our current Western medical scientific understanding of the world? And then what needs to shift within our paradigm for us to be more inclusive of those experiences and what studies scientifically do we need to do now at the Yale Center and beyond to welcome that in? At the end of the workday, the last thing I want to do is grocery shop and sometimes cook dinner, which is why I've really come to appreciate Factor meals. Eating better has never been so easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. There's no mess, no prep, just clear meals. Factor meals are ready to heat, ready to eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup as needed. That's something I can get behind. Sign up and save. I've done the math, and Factor meals are less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So head on over to factormeals.com slash U-Turn50 and use the code U-Turn50 to get 50% off. That's code U-Turn, Y-O-U-T-U-R-N-5-0 at factormeals.com slash U-Turn50 to get 50% off. Now let's get back into this week's episode. Okay, so I love what you're sharing so much, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate. Just the other day, I was thinking about a girl that I lost touch with a long time ago, Um, really great girl. We were like kids and uh, summer camp when we were like six, haven't seen her in probably 20 years. And I thought about her stepdad like three weeks ago, like the most random person for me to think about. I don't know what, I think somebody kind of looked like him and then he crossed my mind. I'm like, Oh, I wonder how that family's doing. And then my mom calls me that week saying like, Hey, we're getting together with, do you remember? So I'm like, yeah, I just thought about him three days ago. She's like, that's weird. So I think this is happening all the time and we just don't give it weight. Um, because we're in such an intellectually driven society and not um, prizing the spiritual. Um, final question. Um, what would you say happy people are doing more of? Or what do you see in the happier people um, when it comes to the work that you're doing? 
I think happier people are, it's where you put your attention and energy and they're putting their attention and energy on things that are generative, dynamic. They are surrounding themselves with amazing people. They're having incredible, inspiring activities. They are giving of their energy to helping others. That's a huge, huge thing. They feel very purpose um, driven and mission based. They know why they're living their life. They have a clear sense of their purpose and they're open to flow. They have a sense of their self-worth. They have a sense of themselves being deserving of happiness, of joy, of whatever they want. And they put out clear intentions to the world and then manifest it accordingly. I think that those are a few things. And we all go through difficulty. We all go through trauma. It's just part of life. It's how we can transmit those energies. And I, I also don't know, like I treat a lot of people who are very influential in the world. And there isn't anybody who I know who's super, super happy, who doesn't also have pain and darkness in their life. It's just that balance that we as human beings live. And so it's being able to really fill the joy and fill your life up with that joy while metabolizing what you need to metabolize. Mm, Okay. Where can everybody keep learning from you? Where should they start in your work? Um, Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to read more from you. Thank you so much, Ashley. So my website is uh, Anna Usum, www.annayusum.com. And we're going to have um, information there about the Yale Center and a movie that we're making right now. And the book is on there. The next book is on there and so much more. So I love collaborating with you, Ashley, and doing this together. And I can't wait to see you in Miami. When we're yeah, I can see you soon. I'm so lucky to be friends with such a big, beautiful brain and soul. And thanks again for coming on to the show. Ashley. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.